0: Exploring the healing and culture-building practices of embodied anti-racism, this is With Love and Justice for All, with Rev. Ogan Holder and Rev. Kelly Isola. Here we go, here we go. We gotta let the music play longer. I know, I love that song. We gotta gotta let the music play a little bit longer. I love that music. Hello, hello, Um, this is Rev. Ogan Holder here with my partner in Crime and Consciousness, Rev. Kelly Isola, we are... We are the co-founders of Project Sanctus and thrilled to be back with you for another episode of With Love and Justice for All, where we have conversations around embodied rant, anti-racism, dismantling oppression, and the special challenges that come along with that as spiritual seekers. Quick hello to super engineer Jeff in the studio. Yeah, next time we got, got to let that music play a little bit longer so we can uh, jam, out, jam yeah, out a little bit. We're but like,
1: you can't see us, but we're bopping along in our chairs
0: see we, we our heads we, popping yes yes we are um so today today's a um um show is called the sum of us this is going to be a two-parter and part of what we're going to be doing is looking at um a book that some of you may have read but it's a it's a it's a very important book we think in this journey around um, anti-racism is called the sum of us what racism costs everyone and how we can prosper together by heather mcgee so we're going to be it's some, it's some s-u-m yes the sum of uh, us the, S-O-M-E. SU, some. the, the yes. sum of us um we we're gonna jump into the book in a little bit and um tell you some more about it and and how we're covering it Um, But before we do that, um, you know, one of the things we promised you was we would bring some book recommendations. That's one of them. And we'll be covering some headlines and stuff. So um, I want to remind some of you who live in states that have state elections next week on November 2nd, Tuesday, November 2nd. Um, you've got some state elections. I know Virginia is has uh, got the governor um, election going on. I think maybe New Jersey does too. I'm not sure, but I live in the I live in the D.C. metro area, the D.M.V. D.C. Maryland Virginia area, and and the be because even though I'm in Maryland, you know the the Virginia ads and the governorship and all that is is front and center uh, for us right now. And I thought it'd be a good opportunity to. Um, to sort of segue into the conversation around the book, The Sum of Us, The S-U-M of Us, What Race and Costs Everyone, to talk first a little bit about voter. Mm. Voter, voter laws, uh, voter, um, voter suppression, um, that sort of thing. Um, and if you've been paying attention, you know that after our last... Um, presidential election there were many claims of not just election being stolen but voter fraud we all know that there is no evidence to support anything near near widespread voter fraud not even narrow spread <laughs> from <with> the <laughs> widespread narrow narrow spread voter fraud um yes. you saw the news about the uh you know the arizona audit which actually after it was done turned up with more votes um, for our current president, um, so so we're not making this a we're not making this a political thing here. What we want to highlight is a little bit of the 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 history and the current efforts of voter suppression, and to realize that this affects everyone. Right, this makes it harder to vote in a lot of places, not just for um, minorities and people of color which these bills are ostensibly aimed at, but it also affects white people as well. Um, They are, as of um, summer, they were, uh, this summer, there were at least 61 bills with restrictive provisions moving through 18 state legislatures. Some of them have passed, some of them have not. The most notable of these was, was in Georgia. Um, and even though Georgia said, you know, we have no evidence of voter fraud, and also this was one of the safest elections ever conducted, they still felt the need to make it harder for people to vote by introducing restrictive, <clears throat> more restrictive bills, including um, 12 states are making it harder to cast mail ballots, and um, um, eight states have enacted laws that um, make in-person voting more difficult including oh. you know with id laws and all that sort of stuff um, and and even just to be able to get to a voting place right exactly Ugh. exactly um, there's there's um, the windows has, has shortened in multiple states to apply for a mail-in ballot um, it's been hard on absentee voting. Um, they've um, some states have limited and the the location and the availability of like mail ballot drop boxes. You know, in Florida and Georgia, Indiana, that's happening. Um, places like Florida and Georgia are banning snacks and water to voters who are waiting in line. Yep. Um, some states are eliminating election day registration. Uh, some states are limiting early voting hours, reducing polling places. Um, so, so all of these are essentially put in places if you look at the list of states again it's primarily what we traditionally think of as quote unquote red states or southern states um, and swing states Mm. and so these bills are in place and again as history can uh, continually shows us these disproportionately affect people of color and other minorities now What also comes along with that is it makes it harder for rural and elderly people to vote, including white people. So, so the whole, the whole, it's not all bad news. Some, some states did make it easier to vote, but, but that's, that's much fewer states (laughs) compared to the states that are making it harder to vote. Um, So, I mean, you can, you can ask Dr. Google and look all that up for that whole list. You don't want to spend too much time on that, but this is, the, this is one of the premises um, that we are looking at in this book called The Sum of Us by um, Heather McGee. And right off the bat, I also want to share with you that if um, after hearing our two episodes on this and you want to jump into a deeper exploration of the book with us, um, we will be doing an online book study via Zoom, so you can access it anywhere. Um, through project sanctus um that's that'll be the five tuesdays in november so start in november 2nd yeah that's the yeah election day which is why we're talking about it now um so november 2nd um all five tuesdays in november from seven thirty p.m eastern time remember i remember the time zone this time hey uh, <laughs> i'm learning eastern time and you do need to sign up in advance it is of no cost all we ask is um if you want to share a donation you're welcome to and one of the things we do is um, at the end of a book study we take a portion of those donations and give them to an organization doing anti-racism work so so your donation goes even further um so you can check out all that at projectsanctus.com. click on the tab that says 846 book club and you can sign up there but this book, "The Sum of Us: What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together," um, like I said, new book came out this year, and so so a lot of the facts and figures that she shares in this book are pretty much yeah. up, um, up to date. Um, yep, they are.
1: I I have to before we keep going. I just let me have I guess it. I have to unload. I'm like I haven't. I have an embolism because I don't. I know. Don't try to figure it out. I just, you know, what with this voter restriction laws. But, you know, when it's one that's like not giving people snacks or water waiting in line, I don't I mean, it's just inhumane. I mean, never mind what your politics are, never mind how you might identify with a particular um, party or not. Uh, It's just mean. Yes, yes. It's just mean spirited. It's just, it's another yes. way to say you don't count, you don't matter. And it's, and everybody, and this goes with the book, but everybody's standing in line. You know, yes. so what's the, I, I don't well, know, I wanna go, somebody help
0: me out, but there isn't. It's just stupid. Well, you say everybody's standing in line, but yes, they are. Uh, and yeah. let's also be clear who probably is more likely standing in line. Uh,
1: Yeah, I know. (laughs) I just.
0: To to vote. Right. Because, Because not many people can afford to take a day off work to go vote. Yes. And those who likely can't afford to take a day off to go work now have to get in the line after work. And, you know, those folks are generally folks of lower economic strata and those folks tend to disproportionately be people of color. Yes. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist here. Nothing, but you know, if it walks like a duck,
1: yes, it quacks like yeah, a duck. Yeah, and I, I'm not trying to. I don't want to minimize that. I don't. I don't disagree. I don't want to minimize that. And right. um, there's, it's just,
0: it's just mean. It is mean. It is. It is it that's, cannot that's, provide
1: you know food and water and you know our snack or even water. You know, I just. What's yes. the purpose? What's the point, other than to continue
0: dehumanizing, demeaning? Well, um, it's it's about discouraging. It's about it's about discouraging folks to come out and vote. So, because someone that supports that, how do,
1: how do they put their head on their pillow at night? I know there's probably not a. I got to get out of trying to figure it out. <laughs> it's just um, there's everything. I'm I'm you know you talk about the be outraged, not enraged, and I am outraged. Yes. uh and i want people to be outraged like i uh, let's get over this nice you know i'm not a nice white person <laughs> never will be <laughs> um don't need it we don't need more niceness i need i me personally i need for you know to gather my own white folks and to be outraged
0: yes because it yes.
1: does impact
0: everyone it, it so, does it does but but to the point of this book until we really realize how it impacts everyone yes right we're not all going to say we need a different experience right because many people are not aware of how much better they could have it in this country black white young or old if a lot of the um, laws and resistance to laws were not, um, you know, folks weren't reacted from that place of, um, white supremacy of, of discrimination. Um, a great, a great example of that. And she points this out in the book. The great example of that is, um, you know, Medicaid expansion when the affordable care act was passed, whatever year that was 20, I don't know, 14 something way back when, Um, And there was a provision in there for states to expand their Medicaid programs. Medicaid programs were um, designed for very low-income folk to have some sort of health coverage, right? To go visit a doctor, take care of their needs, all that sort of stuff. And states had these very um, roughshod Medicare programs. So in the Affordable Care Act was this provision to say to states, We will give you free money to expand your Medicaid program so more people could be covered. Now, there were some states that readily said, thank you. We've been looking for this money. We can do that and get more um, low-income folks covered. And then there were some states who said, no, we are not going to do that ever. Those states happened to be southern states or at least states with... Um, Republican governors, white Republican governors, who were very anti-Obama. And what happened is, even though this was ostensibly the reason they said no to this, one of the things that we fail to talk a lot about is in many of these states, the vast majority of people who rely on Medicaid and need Medicaid expansion are lower income white folk. They're the ones who are suffering the most because of this refusal to expand Medicaid. And there really is no good reason why your state wouldn't take free money, but it's been fun to watch those people who continue to refuse to take. Well,
1: and it's not, and not even just it's Medicare. On. You know, I'm I'm someone that, yeah. you know, my health insurance is a portable care act. And when it first yeah. came on board and, the, the, you know, the hoops I had to jump through in terms of trying to navigate online and actually get some help. And I, you know, at first, what I did was um, uh, had you know, looked at all the plans that were available to me and and literally printed out tons of pages of stuff and laid them all out on my sister's dining room table so that I could go through and, and figure things out. And um, so when I think even just about that, I had the resources, you know, I'm sitting at my sister's. I'm not someone, I'm a white person without a lot of financial resources you know and I have this available to me I haven't had health care for 25 years so of course it's you know but the pushback I got from people that were in jobs that you know secure safe jobs and now yeah now my health insurance is going to change because of you and I'm like yeah well I you know Is there does it have to mean that because I get covered and I get to have some measure of safety and some measure of being cared for that you lose? That's part of this zero sum game that she talks about, That's you know, um, and so but I also had the resources to
0: print all that out. Right. So, So so let me share a few numbers and then let's talk about this zero sum game, because this is this is the idea that runs through everything here. So so to to, sh- to give you an idea of how bad things are in case you've never heard these numbers before. These are the, this is, this is the annual income that a person needs to m- uh, make less than in order to be eligible for Medicaid in these States. So I'm going to give you the numbers. So imagine this, this is the annual income that you've got to be making less than in order to qualify for Medicaid in Alabama, it's thirty nine hundred dollars, not thirty nine thousand a year. Thirty nine hundred a year. In Florida, it's sixty seven hundred a year. Georgia, seventy six hundred. Mississippi, fifty six hundred. Texas, like thirty seven hundred. I'm I'm rounding up to the nearest hundred. But take that in. If you yeah, live so in that Le- thirty
1: nine hundred in Alabama
0: is seventy five dollars a week. Yes. So, yes. So you. So if you made, if you lived in Alabama, you made $80 a week, you're making too much money to mm-hmm. qualify for Medicaid. And there's no way you're affording any other uh, insurance policy either. And this is one thing she writes in her book. Even to this day, even though black and brown people are disproportionately poor, white Americans constitute the majority of low-income people. Who can escape poverty because of government safety net programs right so so here's this law that 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 or or rather this refusal to accept a law that says we can provide health care for l- the lowest income people that has been traditionally refused by many states I shouldn't say many that's accurate. a few states a few states primarily southern states southern states with um primarily white legislature who said no we're not we're not we're not doing this we're not going to accept and again no great reason but part of this again you mentioned the zero sum game idea that um that permeates this whole thing so when you say zero sum game what is what are we talking about here we mean
1: that that add everything up and it adds up to zero (laughs) because everybody loses Everybody loses Um, the, you know, um, when you, um, you know, everything you just went through that, 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 you know, you have to earn less than, you know, so the Alabama, the 3,900 is $75 a week, Texas, it's less, you know, 70. So if you, if you're in Texas and you're making $75 a a week, you're making too much, you're making too much, (laughs) right. Um, So how so the so if you kind of even if you so moving that forward, if there's not some just using healthcare as an example, if we can't care for, you know, our citizens, guess who's footing the bill? We all foot the bill um, for, you know, hospitals need to be paid in taking care. You know, they're caring for someone, yeah. um, you know, nursing homes. And there's all. Just in healthcare alone, we're all going to pay the price to care for those that we don't care for because of this um you know you have to you have to be less than it's not even poverty I mean it's so far below you know poverty it is, it
0: is. and and part of the idea of zero sum gain is again that idea that if I give benefits to someone else, yes, you're taking benefits from me. Right. Right. It's, it's, um, and therefore I will have less. If you have more, I will have less. This is antithetical to a consciousness of abundance and a consciousness of generosity for which we, we, we can, we can sort of describe as there's, there's, there's no limits to. We know the truth is if I do something that benefits you, I will also benefit, I will also gain by it and she did she did some surveying she did some um polling some surveys of people and when she asked um white folk around this zero sum game yes the majority of white folk who answered the question said yes if i give minorities more i will have less when she asked the same question to minorities majority of minorities said no if 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 I if if I have more, or if somebody else has more, we will all have more. We will right. all benefit. So yes. so this this zero sum zero sum law, the zero sum gain, uh, the zero sum paradigm way of looking at things, is we can describe it as a white supremacy idea that runs through the current of everything. And, and we see this showing up in spiritual communities as well. I mean, think about spiritual communities when you want to, you know, launch a new program or, you know, do something new or shift resources.
1: Well, or even the, the now that, you know, spiritual communities, uh, many of them, you know, in unity and other denominations have gotten smaller in terms of right. membership. So So make some collaboratives. Right? Like a collective. And yet the pushback, like, no, no, we have to do our own thing. Because if I if I share Sunday morning um, with you, and maybe, you know, this week we do here, unity of this, and then next week is, you know, and maybe our particular spiritual community doesn't do a Sunday service every Sunday, but it moves around. Somehow we're gonna lose. Right. Somehow somehow I'm gonna lose out. Somehow, um, it's not gonna,
0: it's not gonna happen. You know, are yeah. good, right? We will get less. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so this is this is the this is the idea um, running running under it, uh, the zero zero sum paradigm. Um, so uh, it says um, so from from the book again. Mm, Want to read this quote? Uh, she says. Americans are convinced that if one group gains something, it is always at the cost of other members of the population. This erroneous belief is especially prominent whenever people of color achieve milestones, such as acquiring rights and earning benefits. Due to the fact that Americans have been conditioned to believe that they stand to lose something each time this happens, they fail to see how society as a whole profits from the minority's progress. So that's what we are that's what we're dealing with So part of the conversation is like how do we maybe begin to recognize that more and more and how do we begin to shift that
1: well, well it's it it also shows up uh, I mean we're talking about you know racism in the book is that and um, just look at um, you know women the the more quote unquote, you know, power or the, the, you know, expanding the rights of women, you know, what, what, you know, white men thought was, I'm going to lose power. I'm going to not be in control. I'm going to, you know, whatever, like, I won't make as much money or, you know, and and women having to, you know, fight for a sense of equity. Um, And it's the same, you know, look at differently abled, same thing that if, you know, there's this idea of losing something, that's just, uh, it's so ingrained and it's so embedded and it's so, uh, um, it, it, it just, it, there's just this belief, this unconscious, unexamined belief uh, that I will lose. Um, yeah. So I think we have, um, uh, we have a, a just. I think about a minute and a half to a break, but I think there's someone on hold or maybe a couple people actually I see on hold. Um, So do we want to, after we come back from break, Ogan? I think maybe we um,
0: uh, take the first call. Yeah. Let's start it. Let's start it now. All right. Let's jump in now. Let's let's jump in now. They've been, they've been waiting for a few minutes. Okay. Um, Let's, let's jump in. You got a minute. All right, I think of that. Hello, are you there? Calling from Philadelphia. Hello? Did I, did I, did I do that wrong? I can't hear him. Should I be able to hear him? All right, well, we're not hearing them. So, uh, nope, call, call ended. In. let's, okay. let's, let's try another one. Um, this is like someone calling from, uh, Seattle. Are you there calling from Seattle? And maybe not either. All right. So we'll <laughs> we'll work out the kinks on the phone system while we are on. Yeah, well, while, while we are on break uh, to see what's see what's happening there. Um, and um, but until we come back and when we come back, sorry, got off, got off track here. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about um what is the fear around what we're yeah. what, what Americans, white Americans believe that they may be losing? What yep. um and um maybe where yes. some of those fears come from, and uh then we'll go on from there. So stick with us. And how we, we perpetuate those. And how we perpetuate those. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Love and Justice for All. You're listening to with love and justice for all with Reverend Ogan Holder and Reverend Kelly Isola. All right. We're, we're, we're back from break and thank you for sticking with us. And those folks who were calling us before, if you want to call us back, we will, we will be here. Um, and we'll try and get your call as soon as you call in. Um, so when we have that zero sum mentality, which is if I, give benefits or something to another group it means I lose what am I losing here what's 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 the idea of what's being lost
1: well you're uh what you're losing you you I think from the I mean as I can speak as you know white body um what
0: this the, is, is why I'm asking you.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> well, I just I like to be clear, you know, when I'm when I'm talking. Um there is very much the fear is oftentimes not even necessarily conscious. Mm-hmm. It's just the foundation you know the um it's the water we're in. That, that we're all swimming in, we're all socialized by these white body cultural norms and don't even realize it. So what we think we're going to lose is, um, this, is the privilege that we don't even necessarily recognize that we have, the ease through which we move through life, even when we think that my life wasn't hard you know my life wasn't easy growing up you know we had food stamps and we you know lived in a shelter and we you know but it's not that kind of privilege it's the the, it's the access i'm as a white body i have access much easier access to things than a a body of culture indigenous a black person that just doesn't right by the very
0: nature of the system so um i mean the very basic privilege you would have, for example, is generally you're not seen as a threat. Right. And, 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 you know, when we, when we, when we ask the question, you know, why are more people of color being shot by police, for example, um, the answer is because, um, we people of color, dark skinned people like myself, we've been, it's been taught to see us as threats and an infringement on safety versus someone with a with a white body and you, you, you can ask you can ask police officers and when 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 police officers are interviewed after there's been an uh you know a shooting or killing of a black person even if they've been unarmed one of the common responses is i felt my life was being threatened when there was no weapon, there was there was there was nothing to threaten their life with. This is this, yeah, just, yeah. just wiring that happens,
1: right? The and the what we hear about, you know, uh, jogging while black, you know, listening shopping to the radio, while black, shopping while black, bird watching yeah. while black, right? Um, and and you know, sometimes people hear that and they go, "Well, that's you know," or make light of it and like, "Well, you're over dramatizing," and you're not. If you look at you know, black the murders. Yeah. That go on, you know, more or, than we even know or make the news. Right. It's, I don't have to worry. Like yeah. if I'm jogging through the park, if I'm walking home from the theater, if I'm sitting in my car listening to music, I don't even
0: think about doing those things. Exactly. And, and one of the things we often hear is that these are isolated incidences. They are not, these are not isolated incidences, the least bit. Um, at all, again, consult Doctor Google. Um, these are not isolated incidences, but I think more and more they've been they've been uh, being shared in the national consciousness uh, because now there's a space for it uh, to happen, and and really well-meaning um, white body people, or as uh, Charlemagne the God calls them, good white people are are willing to are willing to to hear these stories and and believe them and make space for them and and that's a good thing um, so so yes there is there is this concern there is this fear about about losing privilege even if you're not consciously aware of your privilege um, but somehow you might feel threatened by the loss of it and what it might be bring is also well and, and
1: here's here's even a, a more powerful disturbing thought uh-huh. for for white bodies that as soon as i say it i know somebody's going to be like well no that's not me is that um this this unspoken fear that if i lose power then bodies of culture are going to treat me the way that they've been
0: treated it's like you're reading my mind. I was just about to say that. Yes, because we're psychic that way. We're we're psychic. We're yeah. psychic that way. We're like psych- We're psychic that way.
1: I don't know any. If I, I don't know any white body person that, if I introduce that idea, um, they may push back or oh no no. But if you be with it long enough, just ask yourself: Am I willing to? You know the Jane Elliot exercise you know, from Jane Elliott, the brown eyes, blue eyes 60 years ago. Um, But she's, you know, the question that always asking is, um, so would you, um, you know, trade places with a a Black person? Um, You know, would you be willing to uh, trade places? Think, And also, you can see it when there are multiple people that I've met that are uh, that refer to themselves as biracial. So one parent is is a Black person, one parent is a white person. And if they are um, uh, light-skinned enough, they very often will, you know, whether consciously choose or not, or it could be how they were socialized and raised, identify as, as white body. And then, and I've also, you know, met uh, uh, people that, you know in terms of the opposite like choosing to to um uh you know identify as uh black a black body you know a body of culture yet the um there's this thing so ask yourself if you're a white body ask yourself uh would i trade places i mean you can use the same thing if you're talking about lgbtq you know would i trade places and live the life of someone who is transgender would i trade places and live the life of someone who's struggle to i you know to uh be public with their sexual expression and identity and would i be willing to trade places with um you know a a woman of color
0: and Uh, and unless you think we are sharing outdated outdated thoughts around this uh just the other night was watching my new favorite anti-racism tv show it's called the god's honest truth featuring um, uh charlemagne the god if you don't know who he is please please look him up longtime radio Dj know he's author he has a whole like media empire um and and he had a woman on to discuss her opposition to the big new boogeyman um mm. critical race theory and he asked her this very question would you trade places with any black person in america and and this was a show that aired i don't know a couple weeks ago. And there was a long hesitation and she still didn't say yes. (laughs) Right. Let's be clear. He's, he's a black man. She's a white woman. And he asked her this question, right? So how many of us would, how many white bodies would still answer that question in the affirmative? And if you are not saying yes, then you know, something's still wrong there, but um, there's there when we when we speak of white bodies losing their privilege there there's some there's something to be gained by that so again if we if we break out of the zero sum game mentality and lean into to the opposite of that yes. you realize that 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 we can we can gain and and you as a white body person can gain a lot by losing your privilege Um, as well. Yeah, there's absolutely. Um, And the
1: um, what I actually gain, ironically, is, um, you know, by unlearning the uh, the internalized supremacy that that I have as a white body person is I actually my life is actually expanded Um, that I, I actually and and What I find in these conversations about, you know, unlearning and what are what I have to gain and what we all have to gain is that there's there's sometimes an element of disconnect or, you know, uh, you know, the dissonance cognitive dissonance that. I think I'm losing something or my brain says because the, the amygdala says danger, danger, not safe. And yet learning to what does it really mean and, and moving into it that there's actually this expanded um, uh, being more humane. Right. Yeah, yeah. I feel more authentic. I'm more myself. I'm living more of myself fully, as is everyone else. You know, I expand my emotional capacity. I expand my capacity to be compassionate and to understand someone's, you know, be in someone's world with them. I'm much less guarded, um, much less afraid. I'm more confident. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm better at my job. I'm better at relationships. It's just the, it's the liberation thing that, which is, you know, liberation is, is beyond just you know, freedom. Freedom, Yeah. And so it's the liberation piece that um, that I get to to participate in like we all do. It's just it's hard to see. It's hard to imagine because you first have to acknowledge that you have the privilege and what that privilege looks
0: like. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But the joy of unlearning it is just is, um, I think one thing is just this expanded, um, humanity, you know, we started off with this, it was making me crazy. And I, I kept wanting to, at the beginning of the show, I wanted to keep interrupting you because the more you talked about the voting thing, the mm-hmm. more worked up I got, um, you know, and the more pissed off I got and the more like, "Arg!" you know, and, yeah. and having this sense of powerlessness. And yet there's, so, I can't necessarily go change a policy right now. However, that's one of the one of the things really at our disposal. One of the greatest tools we have is get out and vote. Yes. just go vote. Uh, just go vote, right? That's the yeah, place yeah. where we have a voice. And we and sometimes in spiritual communities, we get stuck in the, well, we have to get consciousness there first, and then we, I'm like, no, go change the policy. We'll follow along. You know, it will change. Everybody will be, not everybody, people will be upset. They'll be, I mean, we already have upset because we're trying to make it hard for for, um, Black bodies to vote. We're making it hard for marginalized communities to have a voice. So we're already doing that.
0: And and where we get caught up in spiritual communities, especially is to your point, when we see folks run for, uh, you know, elections, we, we in America are apparently, as far as we can tell, shackled to this two party system right? and both parties have been complicit. Yes. In, in creating this. Right. And and so it's like, well, it doesn't matter who we vote for. So so there is there is there is some element of truth to that. However, however, the bigger truth is when we do not vote, that is a vote. And it's yeah. a vote basically to maintain what's, what's been happening. And we can call our elected officials higher. We can. A great example of this, and I started talking about expanded Medicaid and Affordable Care Act. A great example of this is um, when our, uh, our last president came into power and the Republican Party had control of both the House and the Senate one of their big things was to dismantle the affordable care act. And, um, they set about doing this and they had to stop when the average person, including the people in their party, again, majority, lower income, white folk suddenly realized that affordable care act and Obamacare were the same thing, (laughs) right? And they suddenly realized that, wait a minute, for the first time, because Affordable Care Act, I could get health insurance because I was no longer limited by my pre-existing condition. And if my loved one or myself loses out on that, I will die because this is the only thing currently keeping me alive. Now I can afford to have health services. So I don't know if you remember seeing the news, but at a lot of town halls for Republican candidates, People of all um, groups, ethnicities, ages were coming out, and both Republicans and Democrats were coming out saying, if you continue this effort to dismantle the Affordable Care Act without assuring me that I'm going to get those same benefits, we're not voting for you. We're not keeping you in power because you want to take something that benefits us all. Now, it wasn't, I don't know if you remember when the Affordable Care Act was uh, being um introduced to the public it wasn't introduced as something that would benefit all people right Right. this was this was evil socialized medicine and all this sort of stuff uh it was it was you know the 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 efforts of of a black president to to you know take money from the rich and give to the poor that sort of that's really how it was marketed and then people began to experience no wait whoa whoa we're all benefiting from this regardless of whether we are black or white or rich or poor. Like this was a, this was a policy that benefited everyone and they didn't want to lose it. And then, so therefore the effort to dismantle um, the affordable care act was abandoned, at least at the service There's always, they're always working to undermine it, but, but yeah. it was abandoned at the threat of them not, uh, politicians not being reelected and return into power. So I think one of the things we don't realize is that regardless of who we are, uh, as, as whether we're black or white, as a voter, we have, we have immense power, uh, to, to shift the landscape. But when we are, um, both disenfranchised and disengaged, um, from that, we don't want to go out and vote, right? And, and part of part of what sustains this is again, again, our wonderful spiritual principles that we used to bypass. Our goal is not to set it right. Our goal is to see it right. And if and if I don't get someone who aligns exactly with hundred percent of all the things I want to see happen, I'm not going to go and vote. I'm simply going to hold it in consciousness. And you know, you'll always hear this from us. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Hold mm-hmm. it in consciousness and go out and vote, go out and demand more of your elected officials, go out and become an, uh, an official if you're not seeing what's happening, happening. And remember that there is, there is no lack here. No one, you're not going to lose any of your benefits and privileges if we allow others to, to gain.
1: It really, it really is, a, a, you know, pushing all of us, to you know, to move out of the theory of spiritual principles, and so this is what it really looks like and feels like in a lived experience. It's not comfortable. It's it's challenging. You know, the unexamined unconscious beliefs and and what um, how we hold. You know, what is mine? You know, right. where's my safety? Where do I belong? You
0: know like all of that and um it, and you mentioned it, something about safety earlier that 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 you once, uh, once again was a, was a huge point that you just kind of like, like hey that's what i do man kind of like dropped it and ran i know <laughs> just kept on moving yep. and and which is which is so to sort of come back to in our, in, our, in our last few minutes here again a lot of that comes from we are we, we feel our safety threatened, mm-hmm. right? Um, part of the narrative is we've been told that there will be harm coming to us if others get and we don't so so yeah. we feel we feel threatened and and you know that lovely reptilian amygdala brain kicks in a gear and says like if we're gonna if, if we're feeling unsafe or even potentially unsafe we can't let whatever it is happen. yeah it's, even um... even if we're gonna be deprived in the process
1: well, so here's the, the so the, the, what the, so the biology of that is the, um, you know, we're biologically wired um, to, uh, to respond to um, thing, you know, to threats, right? There's a biological response to a threat and the biological response is, you know, the amygdala is going to look for safety. So we are, we are biologically wired to respond with fight, flight, freeze, appease, right? And there's no shame or judgment around that response. It's recognizing that we do that. We yeah. do that already. But uh, so, we're, and, and racism, um, you know, dismantling it, it, what's, you know, in the book, the sum of us is that there's a cost, racism has a cost for every person, you know, which we've kind of, we've been touching on and um part of that you know what's built into that is the the trauma the wounding right as as a a white body what i've internalized and and my trauma is internalized supremacy right and there's a there's a which equates to not i'm not i don't have a sense of my own wholeness yeah right? So, so I have to, so when I'm presented with some kind of threat, you're going to take something away from me. The biology automatically goes to um, what, what can I do to be safe? What can I do to be safe? So unconsciously, I'm going to grab onto what is familiar, right? Or, or play dead, which is another way of saying white apathy, right? I'm going to play dead, you know, well, we just have to see it right, you know, to, to separate myself from it rather than engage it. So, but that's what the brain does. And if we stay in that, you know, just let me hold tight and, you know, or like the, remember the caterpillars when, you know, I don't know if you had these growing up, but the really fuzzy caterpillars, and if you touch them, they curl up into a little ball and they play dead. That's the same. That's what, we as um, certainly as white bodies, what what we do when we are confronted with what's scary, when we're confronted with, wait, I have to give something up, like we curl up and we play dead, uh, and and don't engage, and and where our role is and what our What our work is, is to heal that trauma that that is the playing dead, that it's not mine to take care of. There is no such thing. It's not really. I grew up without privilege. I all of these things, you know, well, all lives matter. Well, I don't see color. You know, we're all human. Like all of these dog whistles are ways of of, you know, a little bit of white apathy in there, a little bit of playing dead rather than learning how to move into the discomfort. And not get comfortable with discomfort, but to build the muscles.
0: And you talked about internalized supremacy. There's also, for people of color like myself, internalized suppression. Yes. Oppression. Internalized oppression, sorry, which which suppresses our desire to step forward. So what that sounds like is like, this is just the way it is. Black people never going to get ahead. So let's not even make an effort. This is this is just this is just the way it is. And we sort of like just like give up. We also play dead in many ways, uh, in, in that regard. And again, again, we have to say this I feel like we shouldn't have to say this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. We're not talking about every single white person and every right. single black person, right? Right. But but this is this is the this is the cultural ethos that that permeates us this is the water we're swimming in and until we become aware of it we're not going to put our heads above the waves and go like let's start to create a different um experience so i am always fascinated to observe myself and see those ways i've internalized uh the oppression and and you know a lot of it is the going along to get along and not even realizing that that's that's what i'm doing right mm-hmm. so so that's that's my level of responsibility and accountability to go wait no no no, no. i i i get to help create a different experience and it begins with my own awareness and my own um, awakening um so so yeah it's it's it it takes it takes all of us we you know one one of the things she she writes in the uh, the book that I, that I love if I could just find that quote, um, she goes, um, she says in short, um, we must emerge from this crisis in our Republic with a new birth of freedom rooted in the knowledge that we are so much more when the, we in the, we, the people is not the some of us S O M E of us, but the, all of us, we are greater than and greater for the some of us, the S U M of us. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's yeah, we, we, when we keep um, restricting ourselves because of our both our internalized supremacy, in the case of white folk and the internalized oppression, in terms of folks of color, like we're we're not living up to all of us um, what we are capable and the potential for us to uh, experience. So, yeah. Um, I think this is a good stopping point. We just got about a minute left, so I do want to remind folks that if you really want to take some deep dives into this with us, join the uh, the book study of the some of us um, Tuesdays in November, seven thirty p.m. Eastern. Go to Project Sanctus to sign up. And also, every first and third Wednesday of the month, we do affinity groups. We get in. We we People uh, come together on Zoom. We've got some deep questions for exploration of ourselves and where we land in all of this. Um, the first Wednesday, it's it's both white bodies and bodies of color and culture. And then on the third Wednesday, we split into two separate groups because we got, we got different questions, we got different answers, and we need different spaces to all work our stuff out. So if you're really serious about saying I want to create a different experience and know that Every time we want to do that, it begins with ourselves. Come check out this work with us at project sanctus.com. Any any closing words you got, Reverend Kelly?
1: No, I could keep going and going and (laughs) going. Well, you got
0: next week because we're going to continue this discussion next week. We're going to part two, dig
1: down deeper. Yes, uh, that we have the capacity, we just need to
0: engage we need we need we need to engage. we can
1: create a culture of caretaking
0: i believe it i believe equanimity I believe and justice for all so thank you for listening share this with your friends we you listen again for some of the some of the deep gems that we dropped and uh we'll see you next week yes we let's will get our, let's get our holy on let's get our holy on